0: don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Uh, you may notice that I have shortened up my intro quite a bit and dropped that, uh, or or changed that introduction tag, that sound effect tag. Uh, seemed, I got a lot of feedback in the last couple of weeks, and it seems like a number of people have complained about it, and I'm quietly wondering to myself how many people are like, God, I hate that thing, but then don't say anything, So, and I'm not really attached to it myself, so I figured out... Uh, uh, I make a change and take the opportunity to shorten up my, what is essentially like a one-minute, it was almost a 50-second intro, um, and sometimes, you know, for a 11- or 12-minute article on occasions, that seemed a little, little excessive. So uh, I shortened it up quite a bit there so that there's not quite so much time between intro and getting to the good stuff. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump into Jimmy Song's article. Uh, if you don't know Jimmy Song, he is a He's really big in the space. I'm sure most people do know who he is, but he's a Bitcoin developer, and uh, he's an entrepreneur. He also has his own podcast, which is Off Chain with Jimmy Song, which I listen to pretty regularly while I'm working on other stuff. Um, Really great source of a lot of commentary and uh, analysis of some ideas. Uh, He's always got some fun stuff to add. So today we're reading his article on Medium.com. It was posted on April 10th. And it is titled, Mining Centralization Scenarios. So let's go ahead and jump in. In my article last week, I talked about how Bitcoin is decentralized. That is, lacks a single point of failure or choke point. One of the things that many critics of the article pointed out was that mining is somehow centralized, and therefore, my argument didn't hold. In this article, I'm going to examine mining centralization in depth, go through some scenarios to understand what the risks are, how it could play out, and what the implications are going forward. Defining mining centralization. Mining centralization can mean two different things. One, manufacturing of mining equipment being mostly in the hands of a single company, or two. Majority of hash power being controlled by a single company. These two are different, and when someone says mining centralization, it's not always clear which they mean. The rest of the article is organized to examine the risks and possible attacks of each. Note, we'll examine some scenarios here, by no means exhaustive, but they should give a pretty good idea of the possible risks and mitigations of mining centralization. MANUFACTURING CENTRALIZATION Bitmain does indeed produce a majority of double 256 proof-of-work hashing algorithm behind Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and a few others mining equipment. And the majority of hash power on the Bitcoin network, as of this writing, come from miners manufactured by Bitmain. We suppose here that though Bitmain may manufacture a majority of the mining equipment, they don't necessarily control the equipment. What are the risks of a single manufacturer producing most of the equipment used to secure the network? Scenario 1 Backdoor. In this scenario, we assume that Bitmain sells most of the equipment that they manufacture. The risk here is that Bitmain has put in some sort of backdoor to the mining equipment through some hidden hardware, firmware, or software. Some possible things backdoor could do. 1. Force mining equipment to point to a bitmain-controlled pool mining whichever coin bitmain chooses. 2. Override the block template to give rewards to a bitmain-controlled address. 3. Throw away valid proof-of-work unless the miner is pointing to a bitmain-controlled pool. 4 shut down the miner using some predetermined signal or kill switch. The first two possible backdoors would be really obvious to anyone paying the least bit of attention. Furthermore, they would be really obvious to prove with even a little bit of logging. The consequences of the discovery of a backdoor of this magnitude would pretty much destroy Bitmain's reputation as a company and additionally make it the target of a class action lawsuit at a minimum. This would be the equivalent of a kamikaze attack on Bitcoin, which might hurt Bitcoin in the short term, but would completely destroy Bitmain as a Bitcoin ASIC manufacturer. The third and fourth can be done in a more subtle way, but would still be susceptible to discovery. Throwing away proof-of-work has the effect of delaying blocks, while making the non-Bitmain pool look more unlucky. Using a kill switch disables the equipment, The direct effects of both are actually detrimental to Bitmain, as they have to deal with customer refunds and complaints about their miner not working. All benefits would have to be secondary, such as attracting more people to their pool. They also carry enormous risks, as competitors might discover such backdoors and utilize them to Bitmain's detriment. The risk of discovery alone more or less destroys whatever reputation Bitmain enjoys, and the benefits uncertain and far off. Note that these are things any mining manufacturer could put into their equipment. Hardware is very hard to audit, and by buying equipment from a particular manufacturer, you're in a sense trusting them not to cheat you. In the four or five years of existence, Bitmain hasn't resorted to these tactics, and there's no reason to think that they would. Such backdoors involve a lot of planning a high chance of discovery and or failure, and a low chance of reward. Scenario 2. Manufacturer Defect This scenario assumes that everything else is the same as Scenario 1, but the equipment has some fatal defect. Perhaps the equipment catches on fire above a certain temperature. Perhaps the equipment calculates the timestamp wrong. The worst possibility here is that the equipment creates invalid blocks, and that's easily seen by the rest of the network. Again, this only hurts the manufacturer, as they are the ones that have to deal with their customers' anger. Scenario 3. Price gouging, buying restrictions, shipping delays. In this scenario, the equipment manufacturer uses its dominant position to add additional costs for buyers of the equipment. The cost may be charging more for the equipment, forcing the usage of certain payment methods, delaying shipping, perhaps even restrictions on how the equipment may be used. All of these tactics become intolerable under competition as the total cost of the equipment can't go above that of the competition without hurting sales and thus must be used judiciously, if at all. The additional revenue from acting this way is offset by long-term reputational damage. Hash power centralization. The actual manufacturing of equipment can lead to some bad outcomes, but the more dangerous scenario is one where there's a concentration of hash power. Specifically, one company may control more than half of the hash power on the network. These can be further subdivided into two different categories. One, one company controls pools totaling greater than 50% of the network hash power. Or two, one company controls machines totaling greater than 50% of the network hash power. The possible attacks are similar, but the way the attacks can be thwarted are a bit different. If a single entity controls a bunch of pools, individuals that participate in the pool can simply switch to a different pool to thwart the attack. If a single entity controls a bunch of machines, that is no longer an option. Keep this in mind as we go through the possible ways in which a majority hash power entity can attack the network. Scenario four, majority only chain. One obvious thing the majority hash power can do is simply reject blocks from everyone else. In essence, taking every block reward for themselves. They could also deny transactions they don't like and possibly try to double-spend as well. This is not as easy an attack to pull off as it would seem, just from the math, if the majority is not much more than 50%. To illustrate why, imagine that a hypothetical manufacturer called Mitbane controls 60% of the hash power and decides to execute the block rejection attack. The probability that the rest of the network finds a given block is 40 percent. It's clear that because the minority still has some hash rate, at some point, Mitbane will be behind by one block to the rest of the network. In order to overtake the lead, Mitbane will need to find two more blocks than the rest of the network. This is not as simple as it sounds. Given sufficient time with a majority of the network hash rate, overtaking is inevitable but this does not necessarily happen very quickly. The math is a little involved, but the number of expected blocks until MITBain overtakes the rest of the network is actually quite high. With 60% of the network hash rate, the expected number of blocks until MITBain overtakes the network is actually six blocks. Note, this is with 60% of the hash power, so that's not 60 minutes for those six blocks, but 100 minutes. Not only that, but in the best-case scenario for the attacker, the entire network will be invalidating the previous five blocks for the attacker's six new blocks. Every transaction that happened in the previous five blocks would be invalidated as if they never happened, and the transactions in the six new blocks seen as canonical. This is what's called a block reorganization, or a reorg for short and it's how a double-spend attack can be performed in Bitcoin. Of course, the attacker could be nice and include more or less the same transactions as the original blocks that it's overtaking, but there's no guarantee. No rational merchant or exchange would ever take less than 30 confirmations in a scenario like this, at least without some knowledge about what's going on. The above chart shows how many blocks you can expect to reorg every time the rest of the network finds a block. You can see that even having something like 70% of the network hash rate makes executing this attack pretty long and drawn out. If after spending enough hash power to find six blocks, Mitbane is still behind by two to three blocks, would Mitbane really want to continue? Furthermore, a large reorg signals to the rest of the network that something nefarious is going on and nodes will likely view these new blocks with suspicion. It's entirely possible that full node operators on the network will simply invalidate these blocks. This is possible through the invalidate block command and happily view the other chain made by the rest of the network as canonical, in which case, mitbane would have wasted an enormous amount of hash power, announced its bad intentions, and have a fork that many nodes don't recognize for all its trouble. This would be a hard fork without any replay protection, and the community would decide which one is worth more. In addition, during the attack, there are large reorgs every time a non mitbain miner finds a block, which make taking payments extremely risky. Essentially, without something like 80% of the network, this attack renders Bitcoin all but unusable during the attack. If instead Mitbane simply mined normally on the network, the mining rewards would essentially be the same without arousing any suspicion or incurring any reputational damage. The double spend, fee sniping, and transaction denial value would have to outweigh the risk of failure, including loss of mining rewards, loss of reputation, and damage to Bitcoin itself. To put it simply, this attack really doesn't make much sense from an economic perspective because there's simply not enough upside for the attacker. What's more, even if successful, Bitcoin would still survive. There's no guarantee that the temporary degradation of the network is enough to make all the Bitcoin owners sell. Scenario 5. Turning off hash power. The majority hash power don't have to attack the network in order to have influence, however. The majority can simply refuse to mine and provide the proportional security for the network. For example, the majority, say 80% of the hash power, can refuse to mine as a way to add political pressure for a certain feature. This would be similar to a hunger strike. This scenario would cause some difficulties on the network. 10-minute blocks would now become 50-minute blocks. The mempool would probably fill up fairly quickly, and transactions would be especially slow. This may, in turn, lead to higher fees. This scenario is much more expensive for the attackers, however. They are giving up 1,437 Bitcoin per day, or about $10 million a day in revenue at current exchange rates. Even if the equipment were to be utilized on another network, their profitability and opportunity cost would suffer quite a bit. What's more, the Bitcoin network confirmation times would recover in a matter of weeks, while the lost revenue will never come back for the would-be hunger strikers. What majority hashing cannot do It's perhaps useful here to recap what a majority of hashing power cannot do. First, the majority cannot take any coins that you already possess away from you. All your coins are yours, and the worst an attacker could do is double-spend incoming transactions or deny your outgoing transactions from going through for a while. This is normal and expected as we saw for transactions that didn't have a high enough fee around December. Second, the majority can't change the rules of Bitcoin. In a sense, they can create new consensus rules But that would be a hard fork, which requires everyone to upgrade. They're free to try to convince the rest of the network that their rules are better. But as sovereign individuals, Bitcoin users have no obligation to follow such rules. The power of whom to follow lies entirely with the owner of the node. Third, the majority cannot hurt you without hurting themselves to some degree such an attacker can degrade the network but not without themselves incurring a lot of opportunity cost they can attempt to double spend but not without significant risk of being blacklisted by many nodes bitmain at least from a manufacturing standpoint the risks are being lowered continually as much as people hate bitmain let's not forget what manufacturers that existed before them were like Butterfly Labs, Cointera, and KNC Mining are just some of the names in this space and they had some serious trouble even filling pre-orders. Bitmain brought a professionalism to the mining industry that simply wasn't there before. They were selling fully assembled ready-to-go miners at conferences in 2014 where these other companies were delaying the delivery of pre-orders from months, sometimes years before. The competence that Bitmain brought to the mining industry is why those other players are bankrupt. That said, there's no reason to believe that Bitmain's market dominance is permanent. First, there's a lot of competition coming. There are no less than four startups that I know of that are entering the mining space attempting to dethrone Bitmain. There are also larger companies like Samsung, Intel, and NVIDIA that are looking into getting into this very lucrative industry. Second, unlike Bitcoin itself, there is no strong network effect in mining equipment manufacturing. People looking to mine may care a bit about who the machines are manufactured by, but most care much more about how much money they can make. In other words, having bought miners from Bitmain in the past does not lock them into buying more of their products. If anything, many people looking to mine will pay more to get non-Bitmain products. Third, Bitmain is a very large company at this point. They are working on machine learning ASICs, altcoin ASICs, buying up companies and funding lots of different projects. Large companies are often less nimble than their smaller counterparts, and time can expose any flaws that a company this big can have. This is not to say that Bitmain will simply give up their large share of this very lucrative industry, but there's certainly a lot of room for competition. If you believe in the free market as I do, it's easy to see that any imbalance will even out over the long term. Right now, there's a manufacturing imbalance. Mining manufacturing centralization is a short term problem. Conclusion Miner centralization has been a boogeyman for people in the Bitcoin community for a long time. What's worse, a lot of people continue to believe that a majority can just control the network. The emergent properties of decentralization help quite a bit here, and Bitcoin is much better protected against such centralized control than many believe. Furthermore, mining centralization is not structured in such a way as to last too long. Mining is a commodity game, and those tend to lower in price as time goes along. Obviously, Bitmain will try very hard to protect the market share that they have, but such attempts without producing the best product Tend to be expensive and short-lived. Mining is not a single point of failure, and Bitcoin will survive. And that will conclude Jimmy Song's article on mining centralization scenarios. I hope you guys liked that one. I thought that was uh, I thought that was a really decent read. He did a good job breaking down all the different. Uh, implications and consequences of different scenarios I mean I think that's really important to know because like he said you know mining centralization is kind of a boogeyman and a lot of people have a very basic idea of it it's just as as he stated almost to the exact words is a majority of the hash rate can just control the network and that's not the case um, as we've seen there's a lot of damage that can be done but almost universally none of it can be done without an enormous opportunity cost. So I hope you learned something with that one. Uh, that was a really good article. And don't forget to check out Jimmy Song and his other stuff. His podcast always has some really great um, content and uh, discussion going on. Uh, and he's got a number of other articles up on his Medium page. Uh, this is not his most recent one. He's got another one that I, uh, uh, I have in my list of uh, articles to read. That list is getting insanely long, (laughs) so uh, hopefully I'll continue to get through it as we move forward here. Don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on both Twitter and Medium to stay up to date on any articles that I post, and obviously to stay up on The Crypto Economy episodes. And uh, also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and uh, if you would like, please leave feedback. It's much appreciated. And... uh, I've still got my, uh, I've actually got my DMs open now, so you can message me on Twitter if you've got any questions, or you want to, uh, or uh, tag me in a post if you think uh, there was a really good article that you found, and you'd like to hear an audio version of it, I may be able to get to it. So keep that in mind, and I will catch you guys next time on the, the next Crypto Economy Quick Read. Take it easy, guys.